Yay, that's right. My name is Carl Rettinger. I'm the director of middle school ministries, and um, I'm excited to get to talk to you about the purpose of marriage. I love Brad leaves and kind of dumps, you know, like the really hard stuff on lowly me. What the heck is that all about? So we're going to be talking about the purpose of marriage tonight. And uh, I wanted to share this quote that I, I wrote down a long time ago because I thought it, it was a great example of, of marriage. It said, one of the best wedding gifts God gave you was a full-length mirror called your spouse. Had there been a card attached, it would have said, here's to helping you discover what you're really like. And I love that because I think there is probably no uh, more true a thing than how much your spouse brings you out. And for example, and this is something that I honestly love to do, I love to be down at Folsom Lake or any other lake and to just sit at the boat launch and watch the husbands sitting out in the boat waiting for their wives to try to zigzag the truck down to the launch and try to get the, the trailer in the water while they're both screaming at each other. It's, it's the real you coming out. I love that. Or being in a campground and, you know, seeing couples trying to get the RV, you know, backed into the little, you know, Prius-sized spot that, you know, they got their dually and their, you know, 70-foot camper. I love that. Because the real you comes out. And that's really what we see in marriage. But um, what, what is the point? What's the point of marriage? I've got, um, I've got a friend. I want to show you a little video. My friend uh, George Clooney is going to help us kind of get an idea of what the purpose of marriage is about. So ladies, you'll love this. Kara uh, mentioned that you were uh, having some thoughts. I don't think I'm going to be able to... Uh to do this. And why would you say that today? Well, last night I was just kind of like laying in bed and I couldn't get to sleep. So I started thinking about the wedding and the ceremony and, and about how we're buying a house and, and moving in together and having a kid and then having another kid and then Christmas and Thanksgiving and spring break and going to football games. And then all of a sudden they're graduating, they're getting jobs and they're getting married and you know, I'm a grandparent, and then I'm retired, I'm losing my hair, I'm getting fat, and then the next thing you know, I'm dead. And I'm just like, I can't stop from thinking, what's the point? I mean, what is the point? The point? Yeah, I mean, what am I starting here? Jim, it's marriage. It's... One of the most beautiful things on earth. It's what uh, what people aspire to. Well, you never got married. That's true. You never even tried. Well, it's hard to define try. I don't know. I just you seem happier than all my married friends. Uh, look, Jim, I'm not gonna lie to you. Marriage can be a pain. And you're kind of right. This all is just stuff that leads to your eventual demise. And we're all on running clocks, and they can't be slowed down or paused, and, you know, we all end up in the same place. Yeah. Hmm. There is no point. There is no point. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not normally the guy you would talk to about stuff like If you think about it, 
your favorite memories, the most important moments in your life? Were you alone? Mm, no, I guess not. You come to think of it, last night, the night before your wedding, when all was swirling around in your head, weren't you guys sleeping in separate bedrooms? Yeah, Julie went back to the apartment. I was just by myself in the honeymoon suite. Kind of lonely, huh? Yeah, it's pretty lonely. Life's better with company. Yeah. Everybody needs a co-pilot. Yeah. Oh, good. You like that? It's it gets better. Not the movie, the sermon. So, the you know I love that George Clooney actually like he struggled at first there trying to figure it out. I mean, and I think most of us at some point, if we were you know asked what's the meaning of marriage, we'd probably kind of stammer a little bit and try to figure out what the heck the meaning of marriage is. I mean, it's for our happiness. It's for our self-fulfillment. It's for, I don't know, you know, like that's, that's kind of how we think. And so he did, he, he actually hit on a couple key things that really do tie into the purpose of marriage. One of the things he said was that everybody needs a co-pilot. Everybody needs a co-pilot. And Brad talked a couple weeks ago about um, just the need to have a wingman, right? Somebody who is there to support you and go with you through all of the hard times and struggles that you've got. And that is absolutely true and accurate. And then he, George Clooney also mentioned that life's better with company. We are made in a way, and we're, we're going to talk about this in a little while, just about being made relationally. And so I love that um, George Clooney actually got a couple things right after he was prompted to not just say, no, there is no purpose, there is no meaning. But some of you may be already checking out. You're like, I'm not married. I don't want to be married. Tried that. I'm done. And don't check out. Really, the stuff that we're talking about, I'm talking about it in the context of marriage, but it is totally applicable to relationships in general, not just romantic relationships, but friendships. And if, you know, you're looking at getting married someday, it's good stuff just to kind of be aware of so that it hopefully will change your perspective of marriage. And the, you know, for those of you, some of you I'm sure are going through tumultuous times where your marriage is maybe unraveling right now or has unraveled. And this is just a sensitive, it's a hard topic to talk about. And Um, I'm hoping that even for you, there will be some encouragement and some hope in this because I think it's, I think it's hopeful stuff. And for those of you who have mediocre to good marriages, which is hopefully a lot of you more in the good than mediocre, but you know, hopefully even you will, it'll change your perspective and give you a little bit of a longer term perspective on why marriage is important. So marriage in The culture that we see in the Old Testament, New Testament, was very much a pragmatic thing. Marriage was was all about the family. It was about increasing your family's standing and uh, prominence and power in the community. So it was very much wrapped up around how, as as me as an individual in my family, how do I help my family out? Whereas in our culture in the West today, 
it's very much an individual thing. Like, how am I going to be fulfilled? How am I going to be happy? I'm looking for Mr. or Mrs. Wright, and I want, you know, all of these perfect things in a spouse. And, you know, you're, you're looking around, and what happens a lot of times is we get into this relationship with Mr. or Mrs. Wright, and after a few months, a few years— they're Mr. and Mrs. Wrong. You know, it's like you start seeing all of their, their shortcomings. And, you know, here's the crazy thing, too, for those of you who have experienced that. They were also looking for Mr. and Mrs. Right, and they got Mr. and Mrs. Wrong. You know, it's like you're, we're, none of us is perfect. We go into this marriage thing uh, kind, of, kind of messed up. But usually it's because we go into it looking for something to fill us it's, it's about our happiness. It's about our uh, pleasure. And I've got a friend who, about four years ago, he was one of my old high school students, and he was graduated from college, and he had met a, a great girl at Davis, and they wanted to get married, and he was asking if I would do their wedding ceremony. And uh, Tim was a just, he's a smart guy. He's talented. He's a hard worker. And his um, girlfriend at the time, Kaylin, you know, beautiful grad student, very, uh, very bright. And the two of them wanted to get married. And, you know, I knew, I knew their story, and they were a great couple. Um, they had some issues, some communication things going on. They had uh, some things they brought to the table with self-awareness and, uh, you know, guy-girl type of issues that— um, were definitely kind of a red flag, but they were they were working towards them. They both, you know, were committed to having a marriage that honored God. And so we did their wedding. Wedding. It was down in Southern California. It was gorgeous. And the first few months was was pretty good, but a year, year and a half into the wedding or the marriage, things started to kind of go downhill. And uh, bickering turned into arguing, arguing turned into fighting, and it just, it became real chaotic. And they got to a point where they said, I just, I can't do this anymore. I don't want to be around you. I don't, I have no hope. I'm done. And they split up. She moved down to Southern California with family. He stayed in San Francisco and, uh, was working in the financial industry and, um, I think for him, there was a little bit of kind of relief that, you know, (laughs) things are a lot nicer, quieter, and I can work, and, you know, nobody's on my back. And, you know, it was everybody around both of them was saying, man, this is a good thing. You know, you guys, you fought all the time. It It was doomed from the start. You guys, you guys did not, uh, you're just, you're good people, but not good together. And uh, they were getting this from their family. They were getting it from their friends. They were getting it from people at church. And Laura, my wife, and I were like, no, stop. Like, don't, don't give up yet. This is, not, this is not done. You guys obviously at one point liked each other at least. Whether you loved each other, I don't know. But you at least liked each other, and you've put— this amount of time into it, you guys have made a commitment to one another, give it, give it some time. And really, you guys cannot fix it, but God can fix you. If you allow God to work on your heart, 
things will things will start to change. And um, I'll uh, I don't know if Tim was actually thinking this or not, but he was asking the same question that George Clooney's would-be brother-in-law was asking, what, what's the point? And I think a lot of people at some point in marriage say, you know, is this really worth it? I don't know, I'm, I'm tired, this is hard. There's a couple main purposes for marriage that we're going to talk about tonight. One of them has to do with what George Clooney was talking about, that, that friendship and companionship are important. And uh, when we look at God, we look at God creating the world in Genesis 1 and 2. He, he creates the heavens, he creates the earth, he creates uh, animals, he creates plants. And all along there's this, this rhythm of God looking at his creation saying, oh, that's good, that's good, that's really good. And then he's looking at Adam, and he says, that's not so good. Adam, you and I have a perfect relationship. We, we, there's no break in our relationship yet, but there's something that, that you're missing. There's something more for you. And he says, I'm going to make you a helper. I'm going to make you a companion to live life with. And we see even in God's own character, he's saying, let, let us make man in our image. There is inherently a quality about God that is relational, and he sees the value in that, which is why, man, it's so hard when we have broken relationships, marriages, uh, stuff going on around us. When relationships don't work, that's why it's so devastating is because there's something deep in us that needs deep human connection, whether it's a marriage thing or whether it is just uh, a human thing. We're going to, if you have a Bible around you, if you want to grab that and look at Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to look at that in just a minute. And this is Paul talking to a church that is blessed beyond anything. They, are, they, are, they have all kinds of opportunity and blessings before them, yet they're living in a way that doesn't reflect that. They're living in a way that still looks dark, still looks different from Jesus. And Paul, throughout the book of Ephesians, is saying, here, I want you guys to live in a certain way. So Paul lays out these things, and really the bottom line is he says, I want you guys to live wisely. Um, if we look at verse 15, this isn't the marriage part, but it's absolutely key to understanding the, the marriage part that we're going to look at. So looking at starting at 15 in chapter 5, it says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
So in verse 21, Paul ends this, this long clause of directives that he's giving to these followers of Jesus, telling them how to live. And he says, live wisely, live obediently, live encouraging lives, and live with gratefulness in your heart. In verse 21, he says, I want you guys to submit to one another. I want you guys to no longer live in a selfish way, in a self-focused way, but I want you to live in a way that puts the other first. And submission in our culture does not have a real positive connotation. The first thing I think of is my dog, Autumn, when I take her to the dog park, and she'll be out there just rollicking around, having a good time, and then uh, you know, a chihuahua with big fangs will come up and just want to sniff her, and she'll immediately roll over and turn her head and just hope for the best. Not a, you know, that's, it's a real weak type of submission. And then the other thing I think of is, is MMA with mixed martial arts and, yeah, yeah that's right. <clears throat> Sorry. I work with junior high students. Shiny buttons really distract me. Um, so MMA, you know, they, they have submission moves. So you get somebody in a submission hold, and they've got two choices. Either they can tap out or they can have their arm or leg snapped in half. And once again, not a real positive thing. So when we, when we hear the word submission, when we see the word submission, it has kind of a negative, negative uh, connotation. But Paul is not t- talking about some sort of dominance or weakness or inferiority thing here. What he's talking about kind of stems from his whole conversation in Ephesians. He's talking about love. He's talking about loving one another. I think as we look at this whole section, he's saying, hey, church, listen up. I want you guys to live differently. It doesn't matter what century you're in. It doesn't matter what culture you're in. It doesn't matter... It doesn't matter what your status is in society. I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to change your heart. I want, you, I want you to start living differently than the people around you who don't know me. It doesn't matter your culture. It doesn't matter your status. It doesn't matter your wealth. It doesn't matter your education. I want you to live a life of submission, just like Jesus we look in Philippians 2, 5 through 8. It's a great little snap, snapshot of Jesus. He says, In a relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So we got this picture of a really important part of living as a follower of Jesus is to live a life that is willing to put others first. It's willing to put your needs behind you and to be submissive to the people around you. So in verse 21, we're going to kind of pick that back up. He says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. So you gotta, you're telling me i got to submit to a man? Uh-uh. No, you didn't. You know, that's, I'm sure, I guarantee you that there's some of you out there feeling that way because even, even in my own heart, I kind of go, ooh, dang. <laughs> I don't want to read that in front of my wife. I mean, it's true, but I don't want her to. <laughs> you know, it's, it's you know, kind of a little, it's a little uncomfortable because we have that negative connotation of, of uh, what this means. And honestly... There, there is this long history of people misusing this passage and guys being jerks and lording it over women. And it's not, it's not okay. But just because people have misused this passage for a long time doesn't take away its truth. And... This passage, although it is very controversial for us today, it was controversial a couple thousand years ago for a very different reason. Nobody, when Paul wrote this letter, was looking at this and saying, uh, women submit to your husbands? Are you crazy? No, because that's, that was expected. That was, just the normal, that was just the normal thing. What was incredible, what was offensive to a lot of the people who heard this letter when Paul wrote it was that men should put their wives first. Men should sacrifice themselves to their wife. That men should put their wants, their needs in second place and put a woman in first place. So Paul's saying, hey, this is a mutual thing. Wives I want you to submit yourself to your husbands. And husbands, I want you to submit yourself to your wives. And then as we look in verse 26, we see the purpose. This is where we get to the purpose. And I'm telling you right now, this is like, this is a top of the shelf cookie thing. So like you got to reach up and we got to kind of put on our thinking hats Because he says the purpose is to sanctify your wife for eternity. What the heck does that mean? Sanctify your wife for eternity. Now, if you you are a Christ follower, you know that the moment you said, yeah, Jesus, I want to follow you, you didn't immediately snap into perfection. Your, Your thoughts, your actions, your attitude did not immediately change and you became 
like a Mother Teresa figure. You know, it, it just doesn't happen like that. It's, it's a process. It happens over a long period of time. And there's a church word for that process. Anybody know what it is? You can shout it out. Sanctification. That's right. Thank you, Sunday school people. So <laughs> sanctification is this process of being changed from our broken, messed up selves to perfect heavenly selves. This process will not happen in this earthly life. It, it starts now, and it, it comes to completion when we're in heaven with God. But right now, we're in this process, if you're a follower of Jesus, of becoming conformed to his image. That's called sanctification. And it happens, it doesn't happen by our hard work. It doesn't happen by our blood, sweat, and tears. It doesn't happen because we're just exceptionally smart, bright people. It happens because of Jesus' grace. He's the one who works in and through us. What Jesus is doing is something where he is making, he's, he's coming alongside us, and he's, he's our friend. And in John chapter 15, he says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay, one's, lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus is the ultimate friend. So we've got this example that Jesus gives us of laying his life down for us as a friend. Our role in our spouse's lives, in our, in our friend's life, is to take part in this kind of replication of the gospel here on earth where we take God's example and we lay our lives down for those around us. We become, we try to copy and become the kind of friend that Jesus was. So, Jesus is the ultimate friend. We are kind of a, a weak copy, but that's our role, is to try to be friends to those around us, especially our spouse. So what the heck does all that mean? <laughs> like, let's get a little practical here. So what, what does that look like? What does that mean? Paul is putting into context for us that marriage is not for happiness and fulfillment, right here and right now. So marriage is not to make us happy in 2012. Now, hopefully, there are, there's a byproduct, whereas we're living, we are experiencing joy, we're experiencing happiness, we're experiencing great memories, but that's not the purpose. God says the purpose is eternity. The purpose is to prepare you for heaven. That's your sanctification. A few years ago, Laura and I were going through... That's my wife, Laura, over there. Hi. She's, she's way cooler than I am. Um, but 
few years ago, we were going through uh, just a lot of transitions in life, and we decided, hey, we need to get involved in, in some communities, some intentional communities. So we got into a Bible study together, and um, it was this marriage group that I had heard that there was a lot of, you know, touchy-feely, let's get into your inner child and your feelings, and I did not want to go. It was not my kind of thing. But since I wanted to remain married, I went. And, and it was good. We, learned, we actually learned a couple things. It was good. Um, one of the things that we learned was we both had baggage that we brought to our marriage that a lot of it was stuff we didn't even realize. We knew that there was symptoms of it, but we, didn't, we hadn't really identified what it was. So we were able to identify that. That was great. Second thing that we learned was there were a lot of other people way more screwed up than us. So I'm just kidding. That's not really... I mean, it is kind of, but that's not really what I was going to say. It just slipped out. Um, no, really, it, one of the things that was great is we were able to begin to understand a lot of the patterns that we had in our marriage. And one of the things, uh, one of the things that Laura realized was she, she didn't really know what her needs were, what her wants were. And so there was a lot of times where things would happen in our marriage and she would get upset and she wouldn't really know why she was upset. And so I would say, hey, hon, what's going on? You okay? What, what do you need? And she was just frustrated and wouldn't know why she was bothered, but she would kind of put a wall up. She'd kind of pull back a little bit. And um, what happened was over years, we got into this pattern where that would happen, and I would, you know, ask and kind of get the Heisman Trophy straight arm from her and get frustrated, and then I would stop asking, which would make her more frustrated, and then, you know, it was like this cycle, and it was, it was just not good, and it was frustrating, but this was what was awesome, was she started to be able to identify what her needs were, and she invited me in and said, man, hun, I need help with this, like, this, this is what's going on, or I need help trying to figure out what's going on, and it was like this huge breakthrough in our marriage, which was awesome. And it enabled me to come alongside her and walk with her and love her and encourage her. And she started to grow in ways that I'd never seen her grow. She was, she was becoming closer to God. She was becoming more confident. She was... Um, just not bothered by as much. It was, it was truly a transformational thing. And for me, what I got to see was glimpses of who I knew God had created her to be. Just these little glimpses. And it was happening more and more. And it was that sanctification process. And I had a lot of issues, too, that we're not going to talk about right now. Um, but my friends, Tim and Kaylin. So... Tim and Kaylin continued to, uh, they were living apart. She was down in Southern California. He's in San Francisco. And over time, there were, you know, a few occasions here and there where they had to talk. And um, it was, you know, cordial, but not really warm. And uh, Kaylin, though, really began to realize how much she needed Jesus and how much there was stuff in her heart that was broken and messed up. <clears throat> so she started to, to really 
lean into God and say, I need, I need help, God. She leaned into people around her and said, I, just, I need support. I need, I need your help. I need your love. And um, people surrounded her, came around her, and she was kind of in the same process that I was talking about. Laura was, she was changing and growing, and one of the things that was great, she didn't chase after Tim. She didn't beg him to come back. Um, and she just, she was quietly hopeful and prayerful about him. And um, I think that concern for him was really instrumental in their marriage. Because over the course of months, they started to talk a little more regularly. They started to see each other, and there was a lot of healing that needed to take place. There was a lot of brokenness and, and things that had happened that broke down any trust. And they, they started to communicate. They started to become friends. And they, were content, they still lived on opposite ends of the state, but over time, they started to heal, and they started to actually like being around each other. And over, over the course of about a year, they said, you know what, I think, I think we can move in together again. And they took time, and they continued to work on their relationship with Christ. They, they were getting counseling, but they really were showing concern for one another. And about six months ago, they finally moved back in, and I just talked to them. And they are, I mean, Tim was said, I, I mean, I'm kind of cautious, but it's amazing. Like, I love coming home. I can't wait to get home to be with my wife. And he's just so excited. But the thing that changed was they quit being self-centered in their marriage. They quit pointing at the other one what they were not doing, and they started saying, what can I do for my wife? What can I do for my husband? How can I love them and serve them? And in that process, sanctification began to happen for both of them. I think, I think the thing that I want to leave more than anything is that the purpose of marriage is not, is not here and now. The purpose of marriage is for eternity. Our role is to be friends to our spouse. Our role is to be partners in that sanctification process with God. I want to encourage you in that. And if there's any way that, uh, you know, we can help, if you need somebody to talk to, we'd love to be a part of that. We've got a lot of people who, who can do that for you. If you're not married, man, look, look for somebody who has that view of marriage that it's not just about my happiness, what makes me happy right now, but has an eternal perspective on it. Can we pray? Let's pray. God, you are good. You're faithful. You're powerful. And Lord, you promise to complete the work that you start in us. And I pray, Father, for everybody in here, Lord, wherever they're at, whatever their past is, Lord, that you would be invited in to begin to change them to be molding us and shaping us uh, into the way that you created us originally, Lord. God, that we would be 
prepared for eternity. God, we love you so much, Father. We ask these things in your holy, precious, and powerful name. Amen.